right. Take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to, once in a while I'll do this. Um, we're, we're in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, but today we're going to skip over to 1 Corinthians. Every so often I think it's good to remind ourselves about some aspect of what we call communion. Um, and I, I want to share something that I've been blessed by lately as, in, as we approach communion and what it means to us. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 14, and we're just going to read down through verse 22. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. Therefore, now remember that therefore is there because he's just explained something. And he's talking about the saints of the Old Testament. He said, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run away from it. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? Is an idol anything or what is offered to an idol anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, and you cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he. So, a little bit of brief context here. What do we know about the church at Corinth? Anybody know anything about the church at Corinth? It was a disaster. In the South, we have a saying for that. We say, it was a teetotal disaster. <laughs> that means it was a complete mess. There's another Southern saying. Uh, that's it. You got it. Lisa said it over there. Her and Jay are our security team over here. Hot mess. It, you're not just a mess. You're a hot mess. Um, so that's a little bit different. That's, the church at Corinth was a hot mess. Um, but they were believers. But boy, they were having a hard time figuring out what that meant and how that was supposed to all work itself out. So it, it's, it's kind of a rough place. And one of the big arguments that came up early on was what do you do about meat that's been sacrificed to idols? Um, because there's a couple of ideas here. Here's one of the ideas. It's kind of like Goodwill. Anybody ever, I shop at Goodwill. Matter of fact, I found this, this stylish leather jacket at Goodwill. I am a Goodwill shopper. Most of my clothes come from Goodwill. All of my golf clubs have come from Goodwill. I figure if you're going to play bad golf, there's no need to spend a lot of money on it. <laughs> right? And why, did, why is Goodwill a good deal? Well, generally because how much does Goodwill pay for the stuff they sell? Nothing. Right? So they can sell it for less. They still make a profit, and we get a deal. Well, that's kind of what... Um, the meat market that was attached to every uh, idol temple was all about. 
people would bring these sacrifices to these. And Paul kind of exposes it. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he says they weren't just false gods. These are, these are demonic entities that this meat is being offered to. But so they're offering this physical meat, and 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 you know they bring the good stuff, right? We're not talking about uh, bottom round. We're talking about filet mignon, right? They bring the good stuff and they offer it to these idols. Well, how much, do, how much do those idols eat? None of it, right? And so the priests would turn around after they had their fill and they would sell it in their market. And of course, just like Goodwill, it costs them nothing. They sell it at a discount and you get a good deal. And so Paul has this long explanation and he's gonna deal with it again a little bit later in 1 Corinthians. But right here, he's talking about, you better be careful. Some of these people came out of those very types of idolatry. And he said, you all need to just stay away from anything that looks like that. So that's the, the history here. Paul is talking about the Old Testament Israel and how they fell into idolatry and were severely judged by God. And that's where verse 14 opens up and says, therefore, I want to talk to you today. I just titled this really simply, and I don't even want to preach a long time today because the Bible says in the next chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that whenever you partake of the Lord's Supper, the act itself is its own declaration. You preach the death, burial, resurrection, and return of Christ just by taking these elements. So you get, we get to all preach the sermon today by acting it out. But I do want to talk to you for a moment about, I just called it fellowship around the table. Um, what is the meaning of this? So the context, number one, is found in verse 14. And that's in your outline today. The context is, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Stay far away from idolatry as you possibly can. Don't do anything that's going to take you back to your old way of living. How many of you know there's a lot of off-ramps uh, in the kingdom? Huh? Isn't it easy to jump on one of those off-ramps and all of a sudden you find yourself on a good flesh trip and you're, you're, you're in a disaster in no time at all? Paul's saying, look, the people of God, and he's talking to Gentiles mostly uh, here. These Corinthian believers were, most of them were Gentile pagans who God had graciously and gloriously brought into fellowship with the blood of Christ. Uh, he's saying, guys, stay away from that stuff. Man, stay as far away from that as possible. Matter of fact, he used the word flee, run away. Run away from idolatry as far and as fast as you can. And boy, that's a good word for us today, isn't it? You know what an idol is? Anything you look to, to provide for your needs outside of God. Right? Be careful. We can be our own idol. Our job can be our idol. Our spouse can be our idol. Right? We can look to all these things to provide for our needs when only God can do that. And we gotta recognize. Now he uses families, he uses spouses. You know, so, so some of those are God's vessels, but be careful. I've often said this uh, with children. I said, uh, God's greatest blessings make the best idols. And don't they? Right? So be careful, be careful. So that's the context here. Where I want to spend a little bit of time on is really the second point, and the others will go quick. Well, this one will too, but is the communion. And that's in verses 15 to 17. And Paul starts off by saying, I speak to you as wise men, 
um, judge for yourselves what I say. Now, we can't quite tell if Paul's being sarcastic here. He, was, <laughs> he did have a gift of sarcasm, the Apostle Paul, because pretty much uh, the church at Corinth was a lot of things, but wise was not one of them, uh, as, which is the reason for his letter. But he's saying, look, y'all have got a brain in your head, and you judge this thing and see if I'm not right. And look at verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Okay, so we see that, and I know what's happening as you hear those words. We have some weird definitions running around our mind. When you hear the word communion, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Just be honest, when you hear the word communion, you think of what? What we're doing here, right? The little tiny cup of, of, of grape juice, and we use oyster crackers if you really want to know. Uh, those little, because they're small and they're just about the right size. That's what you think of, right? That's not the word. Now that's the word in the New King James. I don't even know, did I? Did I put those other versions up there? You can jump down to there. Here, here, here's the same verse in the ESV, the English Standard Version of Scripture. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Let me give you another one. I like both of these versions, by the way. ESV is probably the most accurate English translation. This one is excellent on accuracy, but it's more readable. This is called the Christian Standard Bible. I like it very well, as well. Um, look, look what this one says. The cup of blessing that we give thanks for, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing, what? In the body of Christ. Do you see that? So this verse helps us to understand that the Lord's table here is more than just a memorial or a remembrance of the death of Christ. In some way, and I'm, I'm going to try to help us maybe walk through that for a second, Christians actually share in the body and the blood of Christ and what that offers to us. Now I know we're, 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 we're treading on dangerous ground here. So I want to talk about what that might mean. But let's go back to that word communion. That's what communion means. It's the Greek word and you've heard me say this before. Um, we talked about this, I'm pretty sure, in our series through Philippians where it talked about, it's the Greek word koinonia. And, and does that jump in anybody's mind? What does that word koinonia mean? Partnership. Partnership. Good memory, Brian. Yeah, we tend to think of it as fellowship, but it's actually a business term. And that's what Paul said to Philippians. They were his partner. They were in partnership together in the gospel. What is it? And that first century idea of koinonia or partnership or fellowship or communion, same word. By the way, com and union. Com meaning with, 
and union meaning oneness. That's what you need to think about when you think of calm union. It's oneness with Christ. Christ and I are one. We are joining together through this communion together, this partnership. And in this business aspect of this Greek word koinonia, it would be like, um, uh, I'm, I'm providing one part of this business. I'm bringing one thing to the table and you're bringing the other thing to the table. And together we're getting a product out that people are using and we're making a profit. At least, Bobby, that's the intention of business, right? Doesn't always work out that way, does it? <laughs> uh, Tom's an entrepreneur. Uh, my son, Zach, is as well. And both of these guys have started businesses. And both of them have koinonia with several different partners in the sense that you have contracted out work that you either don't want to do. In Zach's case, he can do it. He just doesn't want to do it. He'd rather have time freedom. He's contracted out different aspects of the business because they bring a, 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 maybe a, an accounting a portion of the business. I know Tom, some of yours is marketing, right? He, we're, we're bringing a part, but we're all coming together for the end result, which in business is your ROI, which means what business people? Return on investment for your return on your investment. And, and, and the, the only reason you coin a NEO with anybody is, is to increase your what? ROI. Or in Zach's case, um, his time freedom. Right? That's also part of your return on your investment is you make enough money that you free up your time uh, to do other things that you would want to do with that time. Because what's the old saying? Time is money. Y'all tracking with me this morning? Now let's take that thought of koinonia and let's bring it to bear on this verse. Okay? He says here, the cup of blessing which we bless so he's speaking of the, of the cup at communion. And, he's, and I, lo I love his first century understanding. He calls it a cup of blessing. Isn't it? Isn't it? Is there any greater blessing than the blood of Jesus that paid for every one of your sins and mine? Is there a better blessing than that? In the entirety of history. No, he calls it the cup of blessing, which we bless, which, which is talking about being thankful for. We speak well words over. Literally, we, we give thanks for it. Is it not, now this is interesting, is it not the communion, the koinonia, the fellowship of the blood of Christ? Remember, koinonia takes how many partners? At least what? Two. So it's not just the blood of Christ on its own over here. It is the fellowship, the koinonia. It is me partaking in some sense of this blood of Christ. Is that, are you with me? Right? There's a coming together. Something's, something's happening here in, in communion. I am coming into unity, into union with King Jesus. Are you with me? He doesn't stop there. Now, he's making a point, and he's going somewhere with it. 
But within the point that he's making, there's a lot for us to learn about what's going on in this memorial fellowship koinonia supper or act that we're going to perform here in just a moment. The bread which we break, is it not the koinonia of the body of Christ? So now we got the blood of Christ and the what? Body of Christ. And we're probably doing that wrong in one sense. I don't know that it's a, a sticking point, Jay, but in Jesus' day at the Last Supper and what it appears that was carrying over to the first century is that they, had a, they just had a loaf of bread, just one. Like we got these little, these nice little containers here and they're full of oyster crackers. And, and you know, if you look at it too long, you're gonna hope for chili or soup for lunch because that's what these, <laughs> and these things are, are really quite good, but that's not the idea. But this is not what they did. They weren't doing this in Corinth. And, and, and it, Jesus didn't do, Jesus, I, I assure you, Jesus did not have oyster crackers. And he wouldn't have eaten oysters either because that's seafood and that was prohibited by his own law. Anyway, they had a loaf of bread. And you have to understand that because of the next phrase. Um, the bread which we break, is it not the co-union of the body of Christ, the koinonia? For, though, for we, though many, are what? One bread. There's the idea of unity again. And one body because we partake. By the way, that word partake, what do you think it is? Koinonia. Same word. We partake of that one bread. Right? So I'm going to get to that here in a second. But this idea is of participation or fellowship or sharing. Somehow when partaking of the Lord's table, and this is the driving point. And I just want you to listen to this for a minute. Christ is spiritually present in a way that he is not present at other times. I want to say that again. You might should write this down. Somehow, when partaking of the Lord's table, according to the Apostle Paul here, and, I, and I'm going to show you how, that, how this is working. That's the only thing that makes sense here. Christ is spiritually present in a way that he's not present at other times. Now, I've got to put some fences around this. Okay, so let me put some fences around this. I come from a, our family comes initially my dad from a Roman Catholic background. Let me tell you what I'm not saying, and Scripture is not teaching, but the Roman church teaches. Uh, Christ is not in the elements of the bread and the cup, as the Roman Catholics believe. But he is more real, he's more real than that to our faith. But he's, what I'm saying is that grape juice and that oyster cracker do not transform into the physically into the body and blood of Jesus. And that's what was, is taught, not just in the Roman Catholic Church, I don't know if you realize this, also in the Lutheran Church teaches the same thing. Of course, Martin Luther came out of the Catholic Church, but he didn't come out very far in some of those areas, and that was one. So we, we, do, we do not believe that, that uh, these elements become the body and blood of Jesus. That's called transubstantiation, trans meaning a cross. That literally the substance, the, 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 body, the literal physical body and blood of Jesus comes across 
through the words of the priest and it transforms itself into and that when you take it it's part of what saves you is what is taught there that is not we don't believe what the bible is saying here however however by faith we sense the presence of christ with us at this table more than we do on other occasions that's why it is a precious thing the Lord's table is referred to by some Christians as a sacrament. I used to try to distance myself from that word, and I've stopped doing that. Um, good Baptists, and we are Baptists here, um, always call it an ordinance, which means a command or a, uh, something to follow. Um, a sacrament has a little bit of a different word. The word sacrament is an oath. And I like, to, I like to use that word, the sacrament of baptism. What's happening at baptism? You are standing before both the seen and the unseen world, and you are making an oath that Jesus is your king. Matter of fact, one of the things we say when, when someone has demonstrated faith in Christ by their lifestyle and come present themselves for baptism they say this, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then they're asked a question. Do you today, of your own volition, will, renounce and give up the right to ever again refuse your king? And that answer must be yes, I do. I'm not playing around with that. That's what a sacrament is. It is an oath. It is an oath of allegiance. And I want you to realize that when we come to this table, Jesus is here. And by participating, you are making an oath of allegiance to your king. That word sacrament was used for the oath of allegiance which sold the soldiers of the Roman legion took to show their loyalty to the emperor. So every time Christians gather at the Lord's table, they renew, it's a renewal of our allegiance to our king. We are confessing our devotion to him who saved us by his sovereign grace. Amen? So this idea here is this fellowship. It's a coming together. Um, there's also another view that I do not subscribe to. It's underneath transubstantiation. It's called consubstantiation. And consubstantiation teaches that, that Jesus' body and blood are present uh, in those elements, but, but those elements aren't physically his body and blood. But here's what, here's what, and here's another one, and this is what I was brought up believing, and most of you were too, is that it's just, it's purely a memorial. Uh, Zwingli was one of the reformers and he was a what called a memorialist. In other words, it's just, it's just a cup and it's just bread and we do it because God, Christ told us to do it, but it's, it's nothing more than serving as an object lesson to make us remember Jesus. And that's how I was brought up. But boy, when I look at these words here that says that the, the bread which we break, is it not a sharing of the body of Christ and is this cup not a sharing of the blood of Christ? There's something more to that. 
And that comes to what Calvin believed as the spiritual presence of Christ at communion. And I used to really argue against this. And you know, you know who changed my mind? Jim Williams. Because Jim Williams was always a spiritual presence of Christ at communion. And that's why in the old days when the deacons came forward and would pass these elements out to you, that man, when I'd ask him to pray and give thanks over one of those elements, that man could never do it without tears because he understood that Jesus is here. There is something special. There is something sacred that is happening. When I take that cup, I am koinonia with Jesus, blood. There is an empowerment that I am experiencing Jesus in a way that I can't experience him any other way at any other time. Is that starting to make a little bit of sense today? Yes. Man, and Jim, Jim got this. And he was so patient with me. And I was so foolish in my argumentation with him. <laughs> and he was so patient. And I hope the Lord is letting Jim see this today and realize that his very slow pastor finally came to the right conclusion. <laughs> At least Thomas is here. He can vouch for it. His favorite grandson. <laughs> um, and that's another thing I want to say about this. This communion, this fellowship, this sharing of the blood of Christ. Something's happening there. This sharing of the body of Christ. It has a strengthening effect on us. You know, the Bible never said, I wish it would have in one sense. But the Bible does not tell us when or how often we should do this. Have communion and, 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 and this thing, right? It just says that whenever you do it, do it in remembrance of me. You know, put your focus on what's happening here, right? Now, some churches, good churches, um, do it every week. And, and I don't have a problem with that. Some churches like us, we do it once a month. Now, what, what I came up in it's kind of, it's interesting to me that the churches I grew up in, it's almost like they were afraid of communion. And in one sense, that was good. They had a holy reverence for it, right? But because of that, we only did it twice a year and we never did it on Sunday morning because non-church members or, or lost people might be there and we didn't want to tell lost people they couldn't participate. Although people who are not in, in koinonia with Jesus don't need to be up here, right? So we did it twice a year, kind of, in a mysterious, on an off night, so nobody would come except the people that were members. I mean, it's like a clandestine thing. It was, it, you know, it, it was crazy. I, I, I remember thinking, boy, this is a, woof, wow, this, must, this is something. We're doing that communion thing. You know, if they're passing out robes and it's on the way in, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, we just did it once in a while, and it was like, ooh, this is this, this thing. We're going to be real careful. I like, I like to do it more often, once a month. I think is great um, because we need to constantly remember. And, and if it is true, and I think it is, that, that there is some type of empowering grace and an experience of, of our King and our Savior in doing this. Now, do I under, can I like write this out and tell you how it works? Nope. But I look at scriptures like that and I can't come to any other conclusion. There's something more happening. I don't think he's, that any of this stuff is, there's nothing special. I got these at Kroger. There, I assure you, there's nothing special here, right? Not at all. It ain't that. It's not the stuff. 
And it's not just what the stuff represents, his blood and his body. It's the fact that Jesus is somehow here with all of this. And when we take that, we are having fellowship with Jesus in a very intimate way that empowers and strengthens us. Um, a lot of metaphors in the body of Christ being the body is one of the metaphors but the church is also called not just the body of Christ another B that's it Dale the bride of Christ indicating if we're the bride of Christ he's the what groom right and, and the scriptures explain what that means as far as headship, authority, leadership, right? We get that. He's the king, but he's also like the groom and we're the bride. And grooms and brides enter into something, a covenant called what, church? Marriage, right? Now, in a marriage, when you get married, uh, we fill out a little certificate and I sign it and send it in to the I don't even know who we send it into. Someone in the city office. And they file it. And they say you're married. Um, and it's now legal. Right? You are, we say you are legally married. Now I am going to tell you all something. We are headed very fast in, the, in our days. Where we are going to separate from the governmental oversight of marriage. Because the government has lost its mind. And in fact, the government has never had any right being in the marriage business. That is purely a church function. You say, what about people who aren't churchgoers? Figure it out. Marriage is a sacred duty of the church. So, okay, so I'm off that soapbox now, just so you know. But anyway... Uh, what was I say? Oh, mar marriage. So we're, we're the bride of Christ, right? So you're legally married, right? And that means that, God forbid, that husband dies, the wife gets the life insurance, right? Everything that's the husband's belongs to the wife. Everything that's the wife's belongs to the husband. That picture is kind of in play here with the church being the bride of Christ. But there's also something else. You can be legally married, but to be, but to be married in the eyes of God... Uh, also opens up a whole new world of blessing as the two become what? One. One. Right? There's an intimacy that is now, that was before marriage, dangerous and destructive. Now within sight of marriage is a blessing and is productive. Right? And I'm talking about sexual intimacy. It's an expression. And, and I tell you what, we do a good job on a lot of things in the church with our kids. We don't necessarily do a good job with this one. You would almost, like when I was growing up, you would almost get the idea that, that sex was this terrible thing. And you better stay as far away from it as possible. But when you get married, it's all good. Well, I've just got all the negative, you got all the negative running in your head from all of that. And then you get married and you're supposed to just erase all of that. 
I think we need to do a better job of explaining that, th that, that sexual intimacy inside a marriage is a massive blessing and it's productive, yeah. right? And the way I would teach this to young people when we go to our, our summer camps with the teenagers, I get the boys inside and I have a whole box full of 12 gauge shotgun shells. Now, they do not have uh, any um, gunpowder in them, right? Um, but they do have the weight. And other than that, they look normal, but there's no gunpowder, so they're, they're just harmless. But I give them each a, a shotgun shell. And I tell them, I said, I said, sex is a lot like this shotgun shell. I said, now, if you were to take, and, and they don't know that there's no powder in it. And these boys are mostly redneck boys that know their way around guns. And so I, I take that shotgun shell and I hold it towards them and I pull out a hammer and I start banging on the primer, right? And a lot of you don't know about guns, apparently, because if so, you'd be horrified right now. Uh, Angie's brother, Clint, did that one day when we were out playing with a, a round from my grandfather's World War II rifle. And um, it went off. And the back of it, the casing went through Uncle Dwayne's windshield. But the bullet went through the front window of their house, through the newspaper Uncle Dwayne was reading, through the wall behind him, and out the back window. And um, needless to say, I learned that day how hard Uncle Dwayne could spank when he was mad. <laughs> right? I mean, we literally, we could have killed everybody. We, sh we, 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 we could have been and should have been killed. We, we could have killed my uncle. He tried to kill us, uh, right? What is that? When I take that and, and start tapping on that with a hammer, the guys that know what that is are literally diving off their chairs onto the ground and getting, diving for cover. And I say, what, what's the matter? What are you afraid of? They said, Pastor Paul, that thing goes off in here. We're all dead. I said, you're right. And then I pull out from behind the door my double barrel shotgun that my grandfather gave me when I turned 16 and I drop a shell in there and close it. I said, now, if I pull this trigger in the direction of something that needs to be destroyed, is there a danger to anybody around us? No. Does it take the danger in front of us away? Yes, it's now productive. And that's just like sexual intimacy. You see, because God designed sex to be uh, inside of a covenant that is stronger and greater than the act itself. And just like when I take that bullet, that cartridge, and I put it into the, the action of, the, of that shotgun and close it, the steel around that has a greater tensile strength than the energy within that round. And as a result, it can be directed and it can be used for protection and productivity. Am I making sense here today? Say, Pastor Paul... What's that got to do with communion? Everything. This oneness with Christ is this level of intimacy. This sharing. This participation. Right? This is what he's talking about. And that's what we experience. Not in any kind of a salacious way. But, but just like in marriage, it's so I don't understand it exactly after 35 years of being married. But there is something that takes place that's way past the physical, right? It's a glue. 
it's that 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 just strengthens the bond. Like you are you are known by that person, and you know that person. That's why the word is even used in scripture. And Adam knew Eve, and she bore a son. There's an open opening up of oneself and saying, "I want to know you. I want you to know me." And we're the only ones in this relationship. It's powerful. That's what he's talking about. We share in this cup. We share in this body. But then he goes on to say in this next verse, I just want to get you the idea of what's happening here. For we, though many, talking about the Christians there, are one bread. We're one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. What is he saying? He said, in this intimate act between you and your king at communion, you're not taking communion alone. Who are you taking communion with? Your brothers and sisters. And what is it doing? Yeah, man, just like, just like physical intimacy in marriage, and, and Satan has so screwed up that word that we can't even say it without our mind going places and it seems yucky and, 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 and inappropriate. It's not. But just like that beautiful intimacy of knowing and being known in that level of marriage, that by coming to Christ and sharing that with him here as he shows up, but sharing that with you as well, what does it do to us? It pulls us together. And as we are individually unified with Christ, we are corporately unified with one another. Do you all see that? Isn't that a beautiful thing? That is so beautiful. So Paul's point is clear. To participate in the Lord's table is to have fellowship, koinonia with Christ and with Christ's people. But to participate in idolatry in any way is to have that same type of fellowship with idolatry and ultimately with demons. And that's the comparison and the correction in the rest of the text. Verse 18, the comparison. Observe Israel after the flesh, like physical Israel. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Talking about these, the, the, in, in, in ancient Israel, when they sacrificed even their babies to the demon god Molech, he said, hey, they're having, they're having an intimate experience with demons. I don't believe that. Well, you, you should. You should. I am running into more and more, and it's young people. I am running into, even in late while, with more and more young people that I am convinced are demonically at least controlled, if not possessed. And some in this church. Um, children of folks that we know. It, this, I've, I've crossed out everything else it could be. Be careful of what you're allowing in your life. That's what he's saying. Don't be partaking of idolatry. Your relationship is with God, not with an idol. Verse 19, what am I saying? Is an idol anything? Or what is offered to idols anything? Rather... Um, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship, koinonia, with demons. Makes sense, right? So I would never want to have fellowship with demons. Well, the thing is, demons are good at disguise. Right? And I'm just going to say it. Some of the music people listen to, you are having fellowship with demons. You need to clean up your playlists. Either be a Christian or be honest that you're not one. 
So we know how to go after you one way or another. You can't have a foot in both worlds. And there's other things. This whole world is demonically inspired and it's after you. Don't have fellowship with anything that, pull, that pushes you away from King Jesus. Ruthlessly cut it out of your life and take communion. Have fellowship with the king and with one another. And then the correction, verse 21 and 22. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord, right here, and the cup of demons. You cannot partake, koinonia, uh, you cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. And then he adds, kind of like a dare. Or do you want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? And if you do, this is what he's saying here, and if you do, you better be stronger than he is. <laughs> or do you want to tick God off? Go ahead and, as Mike Glaze used to say to me, I hid behind the door one day and scared Sally. And I didn't know that that was, a, you, don't, you should not scare Sally, his wife. Uh, I did not understand her reaction. And, he, and he, just, he didn't even turn around to save me. He just kept on walking. He said, go ahead, punch that bobcat with a stick. <laughs> right? And that's what Paul's saying here. Go ahead. Go ahead and live, have a foot in both where you, have, you take the fellowship of, of, of koinonia with Jesus and then turn around and walk out of here and koinonia with the world and a demonic influence. You are going you're gonna to provoke God to jealousy. You're going to punch that bobcat with a stick and you better be bigger and stronger than he is if that's how you want to proceed with the rest of your life. And I got a newsflash for you. Just in case you think you are, you aren't. Amen? Amen? So, let's... Take this to heart today. Huh? Something beautiful and spiritual is happening here. We need to remember, as we take these elements together in just a second, who we're remembering. We need to remember what he did for us on that cross. And we need to remember that he is here. And, and even in a more specific and intimate way as you take these elements. And you need to ask him to help you experience him. That you are truly koinonia with Christ and as a result, you koinonia with his, his family around you and it brings everything together. Isn't that fascinating today? He also says in the next chapter, which we won't get into, but I always say it at communion. It says, let a man examine himself and make sure that he drinks of that cup and eats of that bread in a worthy manner. Now, are you worthy? Uh-uh. Is Jesus worthy? Yes. Yeah. What is he saying? Take a moment, and we're going to do that right now. Take a moment. Hit the pause button. Say, King Jesus, am I trusting in you and you alone? Is there anything between us? Have I grieved your heart in some way? I promise you, you pray that prayer, David. Point out anything in me that offends you, Psalm 139. He'll show you. Sometimes we just got to get quiet. And when he does, turn away from it. Repent of it. And come to this table believing. Let's do just that. Let's take a few minutes and let the Lord search our hearts.